Um, sure, yeah. So this is kind of a, this is my soapbox when it comes to environmentalism. Uh, you know, when I was kind of thinking of uh, what I can do as as an individual within this kind of broad context of uh, uh, making sure that that uh, we are behaving as environmentally consciously as possible, I I realized that uh, one thing that's not being really talked about much uh, is the carbon footprint of computing. That is Dr. Jan Kapitek from the Melbourne Institute at the University of Melbourne and whom I met early in November at the Economic and Social Adler Conference in Melbourne. The conference was staged by both the University of Melbourne and the Australian newspaper and the event was held in the Palladium Room at Melbourne's Crown Casino. Yes, welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I am your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I had asked a question earlier in the morning about the climate crisis and got what I thought was something of a, a tepid response. But then, much to my surprise, Jan came and sat down with me at lunchtime and talked with me about computing the amount of energy they consume and how we should address that. I suggested maybe we should have a talk, and so a couple of weeks later we talked on the phone. Here is that conversation. Jan, you've already told me about how you arrived at the Melbourne Institute, but can you explain it to me again, thanks? Sure. Um, so the way how um, the academic market usually works is uh, that uh, in the last year of your PhD, you um, you enter the job market, so to say, which means uh, that uh, you go to a big conference in, in America and there you are having these one-on-one meetings with uh, uh, representatives of different uh, faculties and universities uh you kind of get to know each other and, and see whether you like uh, each other in terms of research and also uh, uh just general person <laughs> uh and then uh you zero in on on a few faculties that you would like uh to be in uh, they will zero in on a few candidates that they would like to have uh and they invite you over and uh at that point uh you you have a big talk in front of the faculty. Uh, you you meet everybody involved, and at the end of the process, uh, there's basically this matchmaking, where uh, both sides have to agree that uh, this is what they want to uh, do moving forward. And yeah, this was also the case for me and Melbourne. Uh, so I, I went through all the circus, and at the end of it, there was a position at the Melbourne Institute. You you're from Holland, though. I understand. Is it correct? Uh, so I did my PhD in Holland, uh, but uh, I originally hauled from Czech Republic. So what do you do with the Melbourne Institute? Um, so I've been involved in, in a lot of projects and in a variety of topics. Uh, there, there, there have been uh, projects that focus on labor markets. Uh, I had a paper which is quite relevant to Australia, uh, which basically shows that... Uh, when you have uh, minimum wages and they have uh, award rates for teenagers, 
then uh, the firms are responding due to to these award rates by basically firing people just before their birthdays when they become eligible for higher minimum wages. Um, and uh, this is apparently also happening in Australia. And one of my students is currently working on, on his honors thesis, showing this uh, empirically with Australian data. So we met at the uh, November 2 Economic and Social Outlook Conference. So why were you there? Well, um, I, I usually attend just to see where the policy is heading in terms of uh, the government and, and, and uh, the, the parties in charge. And also to kind of see what the other policy institutes have been up to, uh, what are what are the impressions of uh, what is going to happen, and where we can potentially make a contribution and uh, a difference in terms of informing the policy debate. The conference had the catch line, bold ideas for a defining decade. And so do you think the event lived up to its billing? That is, did it have any bold ideas? Um. I think that there have been quite a few. Uh, the emphasis on sustainability and uh, energy is, is definitely important. Uh, and I think that it's something that Australia needs to entertain much more seriously going forward. Um, similarly, uh, the discussions surrounding housing and uh, kind of uh, the social housing specifically is, is something that I'm very interested in. And I think that uh, there's definitely a space for uh, further policy discussion and potentially reform. I believe the climate crisis is embedded in all economic and social issues. So That's right. Um, so do you, it, should, it should be, in my view, the first order of business. So do you think the, the climate crisis was discussed in any real way at the conference? It's been pretty broad strokes, uh, which kind of makes sense considering the venue and considering the breadth of uh, of the topics. Um, but um, I would like to, to see more emphasis on it in the, in the future iterations of the conference. And I think that uh, the Institute is also uh, aiming to, to be more active in, in, in the context of environmental policy. Uh, we want to hire uh, new academics, which will be uh, which will be focusing on environmental uh, policy in Australia. So uh, hopefully, there's going to be uh, more action in the future. Jan, when we met, you talk, we talked about the huge amount of energy consumed by IT. That's right. Um, and you were sort of suggesting you had some ideas about how to moderate that energy use. Can you tell me about that? Um, sure. Yeah. So this is kind of uh, this is my soapbox when it comes to environmentalism. Uh, you know, when I was kind of thinking of uh, what I can do as as an individual within this kind of broad context of uh, uh, making sure that that uh, we are behaving as environmentally consciously as possible, I I realized that uh, one thing that's not being really talked about much uh, is the carbon footprint of computing. And especially academic computing. Um, this is a little bit more uh, of a bigger topic in the general IT and uh, the tech sector, where uh, people are becoming a little, little bit more aware of, for example, the footprint of the Google's server farms uh, and uh, you know the whole cryptocurrency and uh, and its potential impact on the environment. But in academia, there hasn't been much action, uh, at least already much discussion even uh, of, of these issues. So 
in in my work, I just wanted to highlight that uh, we have uh, disproportionate footprints compared to your box standard household, and that this footprint is uh, related to a travel, uh, especially the conference travel, but even more so to the computing and just the resources uh, that we are using to 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 make our research happen. So I imagine you'd have some quite large computers at the institute, would you? That's right, yeah, yeah. And also at the university in general, there are supercomputers, there are very powerful machines as well. And uh, many people are also using the cloud uh, computing services where uh, you are using a lot of power, you just do not see it on the campus. So your work in this area, is that, does that intersect with what happens at the Melbourne Institute or is that just a hobby for you or what's happening there? So this is a little bit of a hobby of mine. Um, I it, it it kind of became a, a, a consequence of, of my work because uh, I do work with a lot of these uh, very powerful machines, uh, and and my work requires a lot of energy. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm pretty happy to be clear about that. Mm, yeah. uh, but at the same time, I'm I'm mindful of that, and I know that uh, a lot of the software that we are using. Uh, could be improved in terms of the the electricity intake and just the, the general efficiency. So just to make sure that I'm actually doing something positive for the environment, uh, I started to basically show to the people who are making the software uh, the ways in which they can save on the energy requirements. And of course, uh, we're, we're talking about software that, that is used by hundreds of thousands of people, right? So at the end of the day, if they make a small adjustment, and usually these are really small adjustments, uh, they can they can generate ridiculous savings in in terms of the energy requirements, and that that's that's really what I'm aiming to to kind of amend. I think you mentioned something about coming up with some ideas for chefs in kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I do have a, I do have another hobby, and that is basically creating uh, industrial kitchen robots. But uh, I, I, I think that the, that is very much unrelated to, to any, <laughs> any sort, of, sort of environmentalism on my part, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So, where do you think the world is headed with regard to the climate crisis, Jan? Honestly, I do not have a strong prior. Uh, well, okay, I do. Um, and it's it's not a positive one. I, I I do not feel that the world as a whole is mindful enough of the costs uh, that we are about to to impose on the future generations. Uh, part of it is just kind of a, a coronation failure, where you have a lot of countries with uh, competing aims, and nobody wants to uh, push back and kind of slow down the development in order to, to be a little bit more environmentally mindful. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of lot of uh, important initiatives which are, are trying to counter this, but I just feel like uh, the world as a whole is, is too disorganized and disconnected in terms of kind of aiming for a common goal to to be serious enough in tackling the climate climate change. Yeah, I must admit your views reflect mine because I think the world is too disorganised to, to do anything serious about this. So. 
So what what role do you think you can have personally in changing public attitudes? I guess through through the university you might, might be able to do something. Yeah, so um, actually there's a lot of very exciting developments uh, at the University of Melbourne. Uh, there are colleagues of mine who are uh, looking into generating traffic systems which would disincentivize people to overuse cars, for example. And uh, these systems are already being trialed around Melbourne. Um, and uh, there are also systems which are implicitly taking into account the environmental costs of, of, of the car usage. Um, there are other, other initiatives uh, which, are, which are aiming more at the industry and kind of uh, looking at uh, what, are, what are the obvious, I mean, it's actually similar to, to the software, uh, software issue, looking at the, the industries and, and identifying obvious bottleneck in terms of environmental efficiency and pointing them out and also highlighting them to, to the policymakers that look at that this industry is underperforming uh, relative to uh, you know, the international standard. And we can, we can reap some big gains uh, if, we, if we try to modernize it. Jan, I don't have any more real questions. Is there something else you'd like to say about what it is you do there and um, or the climate crisis generally? Um, so... I think there there is one thing that, that that I'm I'm somewhat missing from the debate, and I'm curious whether you have uh, an opinion on this. And that is that. So when I was trying to to basically quantify my own carbon footprint, it was really difficult. Uh, there are all these calculators which are trying to uh, trying to use basically the national product or the national uh, environmental output to kind of average out our own contribution. But I don't really feel that uh, they are doing a right job because at the end of the day, they're taking the environmental footprint of a country, which uh, involves uh, a lot of industry, which, which involves a lot of services and economy, and kind of abstracts from the notion of a household and what is the contribution of an individual to the carbon footprint. Uh, and that became quite an interesting point because, you know, when I'm talking about the software efficiency, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind of uh, compare the uh, environmental footprint of a researcher to an environmental footprint of a household. And I just realized that it's really hard to do because the, the footprint of the household is also impossible to capture using uh, currently available statistics so um i would i would really love to, to see a little bit more kind of a concerted effort to do kind of highlight hey uh, this is your this is your footprint this is how you can uh, moderate it and this is uh, this is the extent to which you can reduce it by some simple uh, behavioral changes and adjustments to to your routine so do you think the, the responsibility for addressing the climate crisis rests with the individual or is it a bigger issue than like it's, it's a nationwide thing or worldwide thing? I think uh, I, th I think it's both, okay. Um, and one thing which, which becomes painfully clear uh, when I talk even to my colleagues is that how oblivious they are to their own carbon footprint. So, for example, you know, um, everybody or 
not everybody, but most uh, of the people around faculty travel internationally for conferences. But most nobody knows how big is the footprint of, of this one uh, flight from, from Melbourne to London, for example. And how does it compare to, to your overall production of, of CO2 over the entire year? And when I tell them that it's basically... It's basically the same. So, so you take this return flight to London, and it's essentially the same as uh, as the the output of one person living in Australia and, and not traveling internationally. Their jaw drops, right? Uh, because because nobody talks about this, and no, nobody nobody makes this clear. And uh, as a result, there's this failure of understanding uh, how important our actions are in terms of mediating the impact uh, of of our of our economic activity on the environment so there's definitely an individual component which needs to be emphasized which needs to be highlighted and i'm trying to do my best by basically just you know pontificating uh, about this be, being the party pooper at every conversation and and, uh, and uh, making sure that everybody is 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 kind of depressed at the end of it but unfortunately, I know, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, but but we we have to do that. We have to talk about it, right? Because otherwise, nothing changes. Uh, people have to be aware of of uh, of the consequences of their actions, and only then they they can they can really kind of exert uh, a proper and appropriate pressure on the policymakers to also make changes at a greater level. Jan, thanks very much for talking with me. I appreciate that. And it was great for you to come up and talk to me at the conference. That was, in my view, takes a fair amount of courage to walk up to a stranger and say hello, so I appreciate that. No, 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 it was my pleasure. Thank you, Jan, for coming up and speaking with me at the conference. And thank you again for allowing me to interview you for this episode. Well, folks, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. So I'd urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. Also, I'd love to hear from you. I want to know what you think about this episode. Good or bad, please let me know. And you can contact me via email at number 7 at icloud.com. Also, I'd urge you to share this with your friends because, yes, that's really important because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. May you take care and you stay safe.